Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. This movie really is cussing fantastic. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 84, Fantastic Mr. Fox. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. As always, whether you're a returning listener or a brand new listener, welcome to Verbal Diorama. I hope that you are all keeping healthy and well. This is the final episode of Animation Season 2021. Um, So this is the 10th episode covering great animation at the start of 2021. This season has run through January, February and showcased the following movies. So I've covered Coco, The Secret of Nim, Your Name, Chicken Run, Shrek, Ghost in the Shell, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, The Jungle Book and Robin Hood and now also Fantastic Mr Fox. And I wanted to keep the selections eclectic and memorable and interesting. Believe me, there were lots of films that I wanted to feature that didn't quite make the list. Um, And I'm hoping that at some point in the future I will get to cover those. But I really just wanted to say a massive thank you for the great feedback for the season as a whole. Um, I know that revisiting some of these films has brought a lot of people joy, um, but mostly me because it's brought me the most joy. Animation is never over on Verbal Diorama. It's something that I love to talk about, but it will be taking a bit of a back seat for a little while as I'm kind of going to focus now on some live action movies going forward. But before this season finishes, we're going to go and revisit some more Hot Foxes. Uh, because this final episode was really hard to choose and it was almost something else before I kind of inevitably went back to Fantastic Mr Fox and and I kind of just felt like the only way to follow a hot fox as in Disney's Robin Hood was with another hot fox and trust me I question what's going on in my mind as well here's the trailer for Fantastic Mr Fox and so it begins welcome to the fantastic world of Mr. Fox. Should we dance? His life is fantastic. 
pure wild animal craziness. His wife is fantastic. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. His neighbors, not so fantastic. This is Bogus, Bunce, and Bean, three of the meanest, nastiest, ugliest farmers in his valley. What was that? They're digging us up. But they're about to discover. Oh, Foxy. Is help on the way? He's one fox. I've got an idea. You can't outfox. Mole, what do you got? I can see in the dark. We can use that. Rabbit, I'm fast. Badger, demolitions expert. What? Since when? Here, put these bandit hats on. I don't have a bandit hat, but I modified this tube sock. We look good. Yeah. Only security is if old hunting beagles <laughs> laced some blueberries with sleeping powder. Beagles love blueberries. A titanium card. What's this thing you do, the whistle with the clicking sound? That's my trademark. We're different. We all are. Him especially. But there's something kind of fantastic about that, isn't there? I can fight my own fight. No, you can't. I guess we should start doing something, right? Let's see some hustle. Yeah! Woo. This fall, forget super. That was close, rat. Be careful. Oh, I'm as careful as I Ignore incredible. I can fit through there. You wanna know why? Why? Because I'm little. It's all about... Fantastic. You really are fantastic. I try. Fantastic Mr. Fox. What's this lightning bolt? This fence might be electric. Well, well I just hope it doesn't mean thunder, because I have a phobia of that. <laughs> Mr. Fox has to put his wild days behind once he finds out his wife Felicity is pregnant with their first cub and do what fathers do best, be responsible. After a few years of mundane life writing a column for the local gazette, he becomes infatuated with just one more raid on the three nastiest, meanest farmers out there, Boggis, Bunce and Bean. Boggis's chickens, Bunce's ducks and geese and Bean's turkeys and cider a fair game to Fox until the three farmers decide to take revenge. So, as always, let's quickly go through the cast of this movie. Uh, we have George Clooney as Mr Fox, Meryl Streep as Felicity Fox, Jason Schwartzman as Ash Fox, Bill Murray as Clive Badger, Willem Dafoe as Rat, Michael Gambon as Franklin Bean, Owen Wilson as Coach Skip, Wallace Wolodarski as Kylie, Eric Anderson as Christopherson Silver Fox, Jarvis Cocker as Petey, Robin Hurlstone as Walter Boggis, Hugo Guinness as Nathan Bunce, and Wes Anderson as Stan Weasel. The screenplay was by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach. It was based on Fantastic Mr. Fox by Roald Dahl and it was directed by Wes Anderson. So as I said, the previous episode was on Disney's Robin Hood, all about an anthropomorphic fox. And then I decided, well, I want to finish this season with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Admittedly, I do love a way to link episodes. And this episode does actually have some interesting links to, to another animation season movie too. But I want to start with Roald Dahl's original story. And I am a massive Roald Dahl fan. I have all of his children's books. I love to read them still. And to me, movie adaptations of his works are, are usually, and excuse the pun because I'm going to use this a lot, fantastic. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda are probably the two that I've watched the most throughout my life. Uh, Matilda 
is still completely magical to me. The Witches is probably the one that I've watched the least because it genuinely scares me. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about the Angelica Houston version of The Witches. I cannot watch that. It scares the bejesus out of me. I've not even tried to watch the remake. It, I'm just... I'm just not for it. <laughs> There's also a terrific stop motion adaptation of James and the Giant Peach, which was directed by Henry Selick. And James and the Giant Peach was very almost in contention for this particular season because I wanted to do something to do with Roald Dahl. And obviously quite a few bits of Roald Dahl's work have been animated and James and the Giant Peach was a favourite uh, and it just kind of got eclipsed a little bit by Fantastic Mr Fox, but James and the Giant Peach is fantastic. Obviously, there's an animated version of the BFG as well as a live action version. As I said, The Witches has been done twice, not that I've watched them. Uh, there's also been a TV movie of SEO Trot, also a TV movie of Danny the Champion of the World as well. And also Tim Burton's interesting take on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which I mean... Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's it's not a favourite, um, but it's interesting. And Roald Dahl was notoriously difficult to please with film adaptations of his work. Uh, he famously disowned Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, The Witches, uh, which was the last film made on his material before his death, was, according to him, utterly appalling, basically because the ending contrasted with the ending in his book. The only film adaptation he was actually happy with was the BFG which was released in 1989, a year before his death, and which, when he saw it, he applauded in delight. It's unknown, obviously, uh, whether Roald Dahl would like this version of Fantastic Mr Fox, which is so far the only movie adaptation of this novel. Obviously, the story and the characters differ somewhat, but more on that a bit later. So the rights to the Roald Dahl story were purchased in 2004 by Joe Roth's Revolution Studios and they originally wanted Tim Burton to direct. They eventually enticed Wes Anderson along with Henry Selick as co-directors uh, and then Revolution announced that they were shutting down in 2006. By that point, Fox Animation President Chris Melodandry acquired the rights to Fantastic Mr Fox in October 2006. But by that time, Henry Selick had left the project because he was intent on making a little movie, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Coraline, which I covered in episode 63. Wes Anderson, however, stayed on the project and despite the idiosyncrasies of Dahl's work in general, Wes Anderson feels like kind of the ideal idiosyncratic director, having cut his teeth in Hollywood on indie darlings like Bottle Rocket, Rushmore and The Royal Tenenbaums. His movies tend to be character-driven, emotional, melancholic, slightly eccentric comedies. And while I'll admit to not seeing many of his films, I find Fantastic Mr Fox and the slightly newer Isle of Dogs to be his more palatable, for me personally. I did enjoy The Royal Tenenbaums, but I found it to be a bit too kooky, which is the only way that I can describe The Royal Tenenbaums. I mean, I would recommend that you watch The Royal Tenenbaums, but... Yeah, I found it a little bit too too odd um, for my tastes. But Fantastic Mr Fox is Wes Anderson's sixth directorial feature. And while on the surface it does kind of feel a bit different to anything else that he's done, it's actually also weirdly, remarkably similar. This was the first time that Wes Anderson had tackled animation, you know, and the first time he tackled stop motion animation. He had zero history in the format other than growing up Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer shorts from the 1960s. 
He took inspiration from these early examples of stop motion to insist that unlike other stop motion movies of a similar era, like Chicken Run and Coraline, obviously I covered Chicken Run in episode 78, and as as I said, Coraline in episode 63 of this podcast, and others that I haven't covered, like Corpse Bride and Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, that he wanted Fantastic Mr. Fox to have a rough edge to the animation, to look almost jerky and amateur. He enlisted Ian McKinnon and Peter Saunders, who've worked on puppets for the likes of Mars Attacks, despite them not actually being used in the finished film, Corpse Bride and such British children's institutions as Rastamouse, Bob the Builder, Pingu and Noddy. Anderson wanted to take inspiration too from a French animated film by Ladislas Starowicz, Uh, the 1930 stop-motion classic La Romane de Renard, which used multiple scales of puppets for wide and close shots, basically following the theme of Fantastic Mr Fox, that stealing is good. Not that I'm suggesting that he stole it, but he did kind of borrow it. When it came to hiring voice actors, uh, historically he's worked with many actors on a recurring basis, including Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman, Wallace Wolodarski, Willem Dafoe and Owen Wilson, and all became involved with Fantastic Mr Fox along with his partner Juman Malouf and his brother Eric Anderson. Originally, Kate Blanchett had signed on for Mrs Fox, but she left the role to be replaced by Meryl Streep. Casting for Mr Fox was always going to be key to this movie, and once Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach had the script, they imagined Cary Grant in the lead role, except he's a bit dead. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how else I can put that. He's a, a little bit dead. So they offered the script to the next best thing, George Clooney, who is not. So Clooney read the script and he was thrilled to sort of take the part of a suave, debonair, charismatic, charming character, a clear departure from his real life persona and literally any character he'd played up to that point. Um, But obviously it was a challenge for him and he was really up for that challenge. And unlike most animation voice recording, which is done in studio, Anderson encouraged the actors to actually record some scenes outdoors to kind of add to this authentic feel of being in nature and being one with nature. Uh, They went to the forest, they went into attics, they went into stables. They even went underground to kind of get authentic sounding voice performances. George Clooney also provided a physical performance along with the vocals and made up Fox's trademark whistle click, which I'm not going to do because I can't whistle. So (laughs) not very well. Anyway, not as well as George Clooney can. A Belgian character designer called Felicie Hamos was brought on board to design Mr. Fox. And they wanted a character who was a combination of Roald Dahl, Rex Harrison, George Clooney and a stuffed fox. Hamos created 15 drawings for each of the 40 characters. Sculptors would then flesh out her designs using plasticine clay into 3D models with a polyester resin skull which contained mechanics for facial expressions. Foam latex or silicon was used inside epoxy resin moulds which were then baked for three hours at 90 degrees Celsius. Eyes were each hand painted and the fur was applied to a latex backing and stretched over each puppet, each of which had miniature outfits made as well. 535 puppets were used during filming, 102 of those were just of Mr Fox and they were also different sizes to accommodate wide angle and close up shots and his clothing, so the clothing of Mr Fox was styled the way Wes Anderson himself dressed. The fur on these characters was made of a mix of artificial fur, toy fur and goat's hair, which was dyed using store-bought dye. And the human character's hair was actually made of real hair from the crew, which sounds quite weird, but I'm assured that it's not. 
To make the animation feel a bit more scrappy and a bit less polished, Anderson chose to shoot on twos, which means that each frame is doubled, giving it essentially 12 frames per second instead of 24. The result means that the animation does feel jerky and less fluid, but it also works with the story, you know, foxes being kind of wily creatures, but also taking risks and kind of being a bit jerky, I guess. The production was often working on multiple miniature sets and animating different scenes. Um, a lot of the time they were working on 10, 20 or 30 scenes at the same time. And the filming was done at Three Mill Studios in London. Um, but unlike most directors, Wes Anderson wasn't actually present in the studio to direct these scenes because technically it would be impossible for him to be watching 10 or 20 or 30 scenes at once. So what they did was that he actually ended up directing most of the movie remotely from his apartment in Paris. At the studio in London, they would set up each shot. They would then send photos and information to Wes Anderson. He would then approve each shot. He would adjust if necessary remotely and then obviously go through the process of filming. He did make a few set visits, uh, purportedly for PR reasons. It's worth noting that some of the crew were so annoyed with this method of directing this movie that they actually outed Anderson to the LA Times and there was a little bit of an expose about the fact that he was an absentee director. You can't really argue the point too much because I mean, this movie is so fantastic. So obviously being a remote director has actually worked, especially during times like these, where a lot of us are working remotely. It's actually kind of nice to know that a film, even if it is a, a stop motion animation film, could potentially be directed remotely. I mean, that only seems like a good thing to me. But obviously this was 10 years before COVID-19. So, but clearly Wes Anderson was kind of leading the way when it came to remote direction. I mentioned that the characters were slightly different between the book and the movie. I think that's kind of comes from the fact that in the book, Mr. Fox is very self-assured in his fantasticness. He knows that he's kind of great. Whereas in the movie, he's played with doubt and insecurity. In the book, they only ever live in the ground, but in the movie, they move to this massive tree. Uh, in the book, Mr. and Mrs. Fox have four children, but in the movie, it's just one. His name is Ash, um, as well as a nephew called Christopherson, who is named after the actor Chris Christopherson. Wes Anderson changed Mr. Fox's persona to be more of a typical Wes Anderson leading character rather than this kind of predatorial protagonist that was in Dahl's original book. And the thing I like most about it actually is the Fox family is a very standard family with everyday issues. You know, this, this is a father not getting what he wants out of life. This is a mother who's a little bit anxious, slightly coddles her only child. And this is a child who is an only child kind of a little bit desperate for his father's approval and attention, especially when his cousin Christopherson comes along. Speaking of Christopherson, you know, he's a, a nephew and a cousin who seemingly excels at everything, which kind of causes additional stress for this kind of insecure only child, Ash. But with Christopherson's father ill, it seems like he's like totally devoid of any sort of parental love. And obviously each of these characters has their own little issues. Um, no one in this movie is kind of quote-unquote fantastic in a sense that no, no one's perfect. Everyone has problems. Mr. Fox himself refuses the advice of his lawyer because of what he wants. He's just like, nah, I, you know, I appreciate your advice, um, but I'm not going to follow it, even though it is very sound advice because I want what I want. 
But all of these relationships with all of these characters, it does kind of anchor Fantastic Mr. Fox into this almost like unreal reality. And then having the English school children singing Boggis Bunsen Bean was just a lovely little addition for me and a slightly anachronistic, very similar <laughs> in that way to Robin Hood with this kind of very weird mix of like American and English. The cast in Fantastic Mr. Fox obviously being primarily American, apart from the villains who are English. And that is a very kind of classic silver screen trope to have Americans as the good guys and the British as the bad guys. And I guess it's a trope because it works. The setting of the film, it looks like it is in the English countryside. And the little town, it looks like a quaint little English town with the, you know, these lovely little shops. But then the inside of the supermarket, to me, feels very American. And in many ways, it's actually quite interesting that the location is retained when most adaptations of English books... I'm kind of thinking of The Iron Giant as a good example, which is episode 17 of this podcast, by the way, that actually relocated the story from the UK to America, presumably to keep American audiences happy. I mean, it kind of didn't work because, you know, as I mentioned in that episode, uh, The Iron Giant wasn't really a, a massive financial success. And as I'm going to come to with Fantastic Mr. Fox, it was hardly a massive financial success either. And as I said, despite Wes Anderson not being on set all that often, it still feels very similar to his other movies, especially with the little attentions to detail, like Mrs Fox's paintings, which adapt kind of as the story goes on. The cotton wool explosions, which, I mean, it's genius to use cotton wool for an explosion, but it, it, it's just so good. And my fantastic part, and this, <laughs> this is going to sound really quite bad but i really like the fact that when a character dies you notice it when rat dies um i mean rat is a fantastic character anyway willem dafoe in this movie is brilliant but when he dies his eyes get little crosses on them which is something that i'm not sure where that started but i do remember seeing images like when I was growing up, and it might have actually been from Roald Dahl's books, or from some sort of illustration of Roald Dahl's books, where if a character was dead, he had crosses on his eyes. It's weird, because in this movie, it feels so cartoonish, and yet the movie itself is like this fascinating look into the mundanity of adulthood. You know, when you have all these responsibilities, and you have a family, you can't just be a chicken thief anymore. So it kind of has these multiple layers of interesting complexity in this movie. And I kind of feel like if you feel like you can relate to Mr. Fox and his feelings of insecurity, and am I actually fantastic, despite the fact that this movie is named after me, and it's called Fantastic Mr. Fox, who am I <laughs> if I'm not fantastic? Then I kind of feel like you aren't alone. Because I feel like everyone questions their worth at some point. And I guess, like with Fantastic Mr. Fox, it's kind of how you deal with those existential questions that you're asking yourself. I want to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And, I mean, it's never particularly easy. I always say this, especially when I'm covering animation. It's always quite difficult to link Keanu. And, I mean, this is a terrible, tenuous link. But... Keanu Reeves was actually blacklisted by Fox for 14 years for turning down Speed 2. And I appreciate it's not the same Fox, mind you. It is a completely different Fox. That Fox is now owned by Disney, which obviously is 
probably another little link to Robin Hood there, but <laughs> that's basically all I could find. I'm hoping that the next episode, I'll be able to link Keanu to it a little bit better, I hope. So the music in this movie is, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's one of the best animated soundtracks that I think exist. The songs just feel so in keeping with the general tone and the feel of this movie. Uh, so the score was composed by frequent Wes Anderson collaborator, Alexandra Desplat. And in addition to his starring role in the movie as P.T., Pulp frontman Jarvis Cocker ended up writing three to four songs for the soundtrack, one of which was included in the final product. The rest of the soundtrack features iconic songs by the likes of the Beach Boys, as well as Love from Disney's Robin Hood, as I mentioned in the previous episode. It's one of the many reasons that this movie links so beautifully to Robin Hood. Um, it's not just for the anthropomorphic foxes or for the hot foxes. <laughs> this song is also on the soundtrack as well. So let's talk about the release of this movie. Fantastic Mr Fox had its world premiere as the opening film of the London Film Festival on 14th of October 2009. It was released theatrically on the 12th of November 2009 in four theatres initially in the US before opening wide the following week. So the following week when it opened wide it hit number 10 in the US box office and that was mainly due to the fact that it was a completely packed release week. Um, so other stuff that came out in Fantastic Mr Fox's second week included obviously the behemoth that was the Twilight Saga New Moon, The Blind Side, Planet 51, Ninja Assassin and Old Dogs, they all came out that week and they were all higher in the charts than Fantastic Mr Fox. In its third week it peaked at number nine in the US and then it dropped considerably after that. The movie was made on a budget of $40 million and after the worldwide release numbers were taken into account, it only made $46.5 million worldwide. So it likely cost the studio money. Despite the fact that it was not a massive box office success, it did actually receive a prestigious Criterion Collection DVD and Blu-ray release on the 18th of February 2014. And I think the main reason for that is that despite the fact this movie struggled financially, it was incredibly well received by critics. Uh, they praised the lavish visuals, the emotional undercurrents, the multi-generational appeal, and basically praised Wes Anderson's eye for animation. Uh, and obviously Wes Anderson would go on to make another stop-motion animated movie, 2018's Isle of Dogs, um, which is also fantastic. <laughs> Why do I keep saying fantastic? <laughs> it's also incredible, uh, by the way. Personally, I prefer Fantastic Mr Fox to Isle of Dogs, but I think Isle of Dogs is a really, really special movie, and it clearly shows that Wes Anderson has an eye for this style of movie making. Fantastic Mr Fox would go on to be nominated for Academy Awards for Best Animated Feature and Best Original Score, BAFTAs for Best Animated Film and Best Original Music, and a Best Animated Feature Golden Globe. Unfortunately for Fantastic Mr Fox, this was the year that Up was released, and so all of those awards were lost to Up. I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about Up. I think Up is a fantastic movie. Um, but personally, given the choice, I would choose to watch this over Up, mainly because those first five minutes just destroy me. Right, so I want to move on to social media thoughts. I asked patrons what they thought of this movie and I got a couple of responses. So the first response is from Emily from I Drink Your Podcast and she says, Oh my gosh, this is my favourite movie of all time. The first time I watched it, I had had the worst day. 
the day before my 21st birthday, and I ended up watching it with my now husband while eating Ben and Jerry's interspersed with pools of straight vodka. I immediately fell in love with the animation, the characters and the voice acting. This is my comfort movie. It's the movie where I first fell in love with the quirkiness of Wes Anderson movies, and I will put this on whenever I'm in need of a giant fuzzy hug. That's really sweet, actually. Apart from, obviously, the fact that you had a bad day and that you were just, like, you know, getting all boozed up and eating ice cream. I mean, it sounds great, actually. Uh, Make sure that you check out I Drink Your Podcast. I will, as always, put some links in the show notes. I mean, they only cover movies from 2007, so they're never going to cover Fantastic Mr Fox. So I feel like that's a bit of a travesty, actually, Emily. I think you need to do something about that. Like, maybe... Maybe you could like pull some strings or something because I would love to hear you guys cover Fantastic Mr. Fox. They only cover movies from 2007 and actually I'm going to be on their podcast um, very, very soon. We're actually going to be recording something in March. So hopefully, fingers crossed, you guys will get to hear us talk about an amazing 2007 movie that I adore. Yeah, so make sure you check out and make sure you listen out for that episode, which will probably be at some point in the near future. And another patron comment comes from Andy from Geek Salad. And he says, I jokingly call this baby's first Wes Anderson film. It has all of the retro charm, snappy dialogue, classic soundtrack and Jason Schwartzman of a live action Anderson film. And in my opinion, it's probably his best film. Although I do love Grand Budapest Hotel as well. The stop motion has a flow that is both smooth and choppy at the same time, wearing its flaws like the flares of fur on the characters like a badge of honor. An absolute classic and one of my daughter's favourite animated films. P.T. may have written a bad song, but Wes Anderson made a gem of the movie. Ah, uh, see what you did there, Andy. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you guys know Andy from Geek Salad. He's always on this podcast. I cannot stop him from making guest appearances. Uh, so, <laughs> that, that's a bit of a lie. I force him. But, obviously, Andy was always super regular with his comments as well. So, make sure that you pop by Geek Salad. Again, I will put some links and stuff in the show notes for basically all your pop culture needs and desires and um, podcast episodes. Right, moving on to general social media thoughts. Only on Twitter. This time there is none on Instagram and Facebook. But I'm pretty certain that this is the most comments that I've had sort of all animation season for Fantastic Mr Fox. Um, Which is fantastic. I mean, it's not fantastic. (laughs) It's, It's awesome. So let's start with at cinema underscore recall who said... Fantastic Mr Fox is pure Wes Anderson style and I love the cuss out of this movie. I love that it doesn't ever speak down to kids by playing current pop songs or be super slick and stylish. It's not for the masses and I love it even more for it. It's a good adaptation. At Movie Reviews In said, Legitimately a toss-up between this and the Grand Budapest for my favourite Wes Anderson film was so much fun to see his usual storytelling techniques told through a different visual medium. Also love the voice acting from A-listers. Just a solid film all around. At the Peter Briggs said, I'm genuinely not a fan, but I love Isle of Dogs. Worth noting that the little theatre in the movie is actually a replica of the existing real cinema in Bath, which I used to go to when I lived there. At Cap Understand says, One of my favourite movies of all time. So many brilliant moments with stop motion animation that fits Wes Anderson's style perfectly. A great soundtrack and an all round great feeling movie that shows it's okay to be different. Doesn't get the praise it deserves. At 100 Things Pod said, What an oddity this is. It couldn't be further from the subject matter, and that's no bad thing. The cast, as one would expect from Wes Anderson, is phenomenal, and the soundtrack is utterly listenable. At Filmbusters Pod said, I'm not a big fan of Wes Anderson films, but Fantastic Mr Fox was a great choice for him. Anderson's trademark style of writing works perfectly with the animation style, and what beautiful animation it is. At DW Lundberg said, It's fantastic. 
Anderson's signature style is a perfect fit for stop-motion animation. The cadences, minute attention to detail and droll sense of humour all seem better suited to this world of anthropomorphic animal characters than the director's live-action comedies. At Oral underscore MFC said, Anderson knocks it out of the park with this one. Every moment is filled with great visuals or snappy, endlessly quotable lines from the amazing cast. Hot box. Um, do you mean hot fox? I'm not certain. At, at Pedestrian said, Anderson's style and humour translated really well into the timeless animation. I don't think it's perfect. And the third act drags a bit, but overall it's great. At Spy Hard said, Probably the only Wes Anderson film I've instantly loved. Brilliant visuals and a fantastic story make for a great film. At Volpforce 5 said, Ahem. And, and that's it. I don't know what that means. At IDYP underscore podcast said, This is one of Emily's favourite movies. And yes, because Emily's already given her comments. So this is like double endorsement from my Drink Your Podcast. At Geddes 7 said, Wes Anderson is a great filmmaker. This is another classic. Style, dialogue, aesthetics, characters, cast, always on point. And finally, at, at The Flicks Pod said, I thought it was okay when I saw it in the cinema. Given an adult version of a children's story. Didn't think any more about it. Then a few years ago, some friends of ours and their young boy came to stay. All weekend, it was the only film he wanted to watch over and over again. Rather than irritate me, I actually became more and more impressed with it. It won me over. I am now a big fan. P.S. Also written by a Welsh person, so even more impressed. And so is Jess. As I said, no comments uh, on Instagram or Facebook for this one, but a massive thank you, as always, for your comments. Fantastic Mr Fox is one of my favourite Roald Dahl books, so I'm probably quite predisposed to love this movie. And the fact that it's stop motion as well, and are really quirky. I mean, I, I really love quirk. But I think it does a really great job of being enjoyable for children, as well as providing the layers of complexity necessary to entice adults. You know, the themes of feeling shackled or questioning your choices and asking who you are. Um, it's juddery animation kind of gives this feeling of perhaps if... If Mr. Fox was free to live out his dreams, perhaps his animation might be a bit smoother. You know, a bit more fancy free, a bit more free of worry. You just don't know. Everyone in this story is having some sort of existential crisis, um, which I think we can all relate to right now with the world the way it is. And it also tells us that we don't have to make do with what life has given us. We can live our dreams. And sometimes it takes our tail getting shot off and worn around the neck of a farmer for us to understand that life really is too short. And that we just need to push past these insecurities or doubt and just, you know, live up to being fantastic. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Fantastic Mr Fox. And if you do like this episode, uh, if you could take a moment to leave a rating or a review uh, in something like Apple Podcasts or alternatively, tell your friends, tell your family members, uh, basically spread this podcast far and wide uh, and get people to listen. That would be awesome. If you liked this episode on Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, you might also like the following episodes slash movies. Episode 17, The Iron Giant, because I am still recommending it every single episode in animation season, um, because it is ridiculously underrated, but it is another adaptation of a British novel. Uh, and it's Amazing. I was going to say fantastic again. Uh, <laughs> literally everything's going to be fantastic in this episode. It's a bit like when I did The Incredibles and everything was incredible. I'm not recommending The Incredibles, although I do have an episode on The Incredibles, but I am going to recommend episode 29, Kubo and the Two Strings, as well as episode 63, Coraline. They are both movies by Laika. 
they are both stop motion i mean the animation in those movies is completely different to this it is glorious and smooth and fluid and beautiful stories beautiful characters but if you like stop motion you will love what Laika is doing episode 78 chicken run again Ardman, uh awesome i was gonna say fantastic but i <laughs> i decided not to so yeah i would obviously also recommend chicken run and finally episode 83 robin hood because if you like hot foxes and you've not seen Walt Disney's Robin Hood, then you are missing out, my friend. Give me feedback on my episode recommendations. Let me know if you think I missed anything. The next episode is a definite cult favourite. What I wanted to do in March was I wanted to look at movies that maybe didn't do so well when they first came out, but have kind of built up a massive fan following, almost like a cult following. This movie is something that I got a lot of love when I posted on Twitter that I'd seen it again recently. Um, and as soon as I did rewatch it, I knew that I wanted to cover it on the podcast. It's not the first time I've covered a John Carpenter and Kurt Russell collaboration, because I did that in episode 48, which was on The Thing. But the movie that they're probably most well known from, apart from The Thing, is Big Trouble in Little China. So that's going to be episode 85 of Verbal Diorama. It's Big Trouble in Little China, and I'm really expecting it to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to talk about it. Sadly, animation season is over for another year, uh, but I have a little announcement, uh, something I've been teasing for a while. The passion that I have for animation, uh, for the medium as a whole, isn't over, uh, and it never will be, and nor is the drive to prove that animation is not a genre, and it's not just a medium for children, and I wanted a way to do that that was bigger than animation season. Patrons have known about this for a little while uh, and the feedback that I got from them about it was actually really positive. So, um, so here it is. I am going to be working on a brand new podcast. It's in the very early stages at the moment, but it's going to be called Rotoscoporama and it's going to focus purely on animation. It's going to be a bit different. Um, Rotoscoporama is going to be a limited series rather than a weekly podcast because I couldn't do all of this twice. And it's going to feature me and a special guest chatting about the animated movie, as well as obviously the history and legacy and all the things that Verbal Diorama is known for. That doesn't mean that Verbal Diorama won't cover animation in future, um, but this way I can satiate my desire to do both. Jess is very excited too. <laughs> uh, so Rama is still in the early stages of development, um, but if you do love Verbal Diorama and you love animation, and well, wouldn't you, um, then I hope that you'll be excited and that you'll support it when it debuts, because... That'd be fantastic. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Verbal Diorama. If you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama. I'm always so grateful to the patrons of this podcast. Uh, there are 18 of them. I would like to get to 20 at some point. Uh, I haven't quite managed it yet, but you never know. Might get to 20 at some point. And when I do, I'm kind of planning to introduce more perks and more episodes for patrons. So if you would like to support Verbal Diorama, um, feel free to sign up if you wish. Uh, and a massive thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt, Trevor, and Scott for being and no, I didn't do that. I borrowed it <laughs> like a fox. <laughs> I, I borrowed the sound effect just like a fox. 
I also have a merch store, uh, which is teespring.com slash stores slash verbal diorama. If you want to get in touch, it's verbaldiorama at gmail.com or over at verbaldiorama.com. Um, and obviously, you can pop over to Film Stories. You can check out the magazine. There is a new issue coming out. Film Stories Online has articles written by lots of wonderful people, including myself. And finally, 